Jared, uh, kids, you're dismissed to your class if you'd like to do that. Now is your chance. A couple things as uh, just a way of introduction. Um, Andrew did a really good job last week of pointing this out. We try to. We're, we're a uh, young church in a college town. Um, but what Andrew did last week in mentioning Easter, I just want to reiterate that. We'll do this again next week. Um, this is a great opportunity, and I want to kind of cast our heart in why we're asking you to do this. It's a great opportunity for you to invite your families here. And here's why I say that. Because God, just, I mean, if you just take a quick look uh, around, maybe someday I'll snap a photo, we'll put it up here. But God's doing something in our midst. And I think your parents would love to see it, or whoever is your family, right? And uh, we would love a chance to meet them. And Easter is for us. Uh, we also do baptisms on Easter, and it really is the pinnacle of our church calendar. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. So if you're on the fence of like, oh, I don't know if I want to go home or not, and I'm not, I mean, I guess I'm calling out all the college students, so sorry if this is uncomfortable, but uh, what an opportunity for you to invite your families here. And I want you to know, we don't, we're not doing that so that we have a really full room on Sunday. We're doing that because we believe that God is doing something here, and we think the people who love you would love to celebrate and to see. And so that's the caveat, all right? Um, I think you guys know our hearts behind that. Uh, <clears throat> second announcement. Um, we have immediately following the gathering a kids volunteer training meeting. So if you are currently a kids volunteer, if you would like to potentially become a kids volunteer, uh, we'll do that immediately after the gathering in one of the back rooms. Uh, for the record, I served in the kids last week, so I, my prayers changed uh, for you. So thank you to the servants. You will have a special seat in heaven. Um, it, it was fun, wasn't it? Thomas and I were in there together. We didn't lose anyone. So that was a win, okay? Uh, lastly, our, our last announcement um, is Branch School of Theology is scheduled for tonight, okay, from 5 to 7 here at the Park and Rec. We've had no one sign up yet, okay? But we've heard from a lot of you even this morning, uh, well, we've had a handful of people. Um, but if you're interested in coming, will you please let me know that today? Because right now, we're talking about not doing it, okay? We need to know how many packets to print and how to set the room. So if you're interested in coming, tonight we're talking about what is salvation. The fancy word is soteriology. So if you want to come, you're invited. Um, just let us know so we can be prepared uh, to serve you well tonight from 5 to 7 here at the Park and Rec, okay? Um, and then last, we have a handful of new members to announce. Uh, Alan and Elizabeth Hours, David Malcolm, and Sally Trapnell. I haven't seen Sally yet this morning, but um, they're all... Uh, She's here. Everybody's pointing. So um, anyways, so we'll welcome them into uh, the Branch Church family. Okay. Yeah. I think we've, uh, we, set a, we set a standard a few weeks ago when we did this, and y'all clapped, and so now you have to do it every time we do it. So um, otherwise, they'll feel judged. Um, I, before we jump into Exodus, I, I want to just, I want to speak to where we are as a church. Uh, today is a pretty... Uh, Today's a special day for our church. Um, we have made it a year together. Um, if, you're, if you're new, uh, sorry, I don't usually cry up front in front of people. It makes me feel very uncomfortable and I start sweating. I won't turn around. Um, I, I use humor to mask my vulnerabilities. Uh, a year ago, the guy who planted our church um, was called to leave to go pastor another church. And I was sitting where you're sitting and um, God has been incredibly faithful to us, incredibly faithful. 
uh, to my family, uh, to us as a church, to Gabe and his family as they have gone to serve somewhere else. So I think I'd be foolish not to say thank you to you um, if you're new here. Again, sorry, this is probably extremely uncomfortable for you. Um, You guys have loved us so well, and uh, I'm so thankful for that. So, um, dang. (laughs) Um, I want to thank our elders who have supported and encouraged me uh, in days where I'm just like, I am not worthy to have this role. Uh, I want to thank you for loving my kids and my wife so well. Uh, I want to thank them for the support. The guys that I work with Monday, I'm bivocational, so I have another job. Uh, Most of my team also goes to the branch, and so thank you guys for the, just picking up the slack. And to our team here at the branch, uh, Andrew and Jared and Riley, uh, just the, you guys are the best, and I love you. And um, I'm just incredibly humbled and very thankful. And I want you to know that this, our church, has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with our team. It has everything to do with what God's doing, and he's up to something. And so um, if you guys are okay, I'm going to get into Exodus because I'll be fine there. All right? Thank you. I love you so much, and I'm so humbled and, and grateful uh, for our first year together. I, I pray, and it's going to be a whole bunch more. So don't fire me, okay? All right. Um, sorry about that, too. So uh, we'll, be, we'll be better. Uh, disclaimer, if you're, a, uh, if you're a guest, if this is your first time here, we have been in a verse-by-verse study of the book of Exodus. Okay, we have called it the gospel according to Exodus, and this morning we're in Exodus chapter 25. We're picking up where we left off last week in verse 23. So our, our task for today is 23 through 40. Before I do that, I want to read uh, kind of the beginning of what Andrew led us through last week, verses 1 through 9, as a foundation for where we'll be uh, today talking about the table of bread and the lampstand. This is Exodus chapter 25, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. Goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood. I had to practice that one. Uh, Oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. Onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary. Listen to this. This is verse 8. That I may dwell in their midst. This is the purpose, okay? That I might dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. Let's jump down to verse 23. We'll read 23 through 30, and then we'll pick up 31 here uh, later. Exodus 25, verse 23. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it a handbreadth wide and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Verse 27. Close to the frame the ring shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. 
You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and its dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence, capital P, on the table before me regularly. I've got a few photos. I think this is going to be helpful. I know it's impossible to see, especially if you're in the back. Uh, the idea here, though, guys, is that God dwells with us, okay? That is the main point. It's the main point of the tabernacle. It's the main point of the Ark of the Covenant from last week. It's the main point of the bread of presence. It's the main point of the lampstand, that God dwells with us. So I, here I am turning around. I think I've stopped sweating, so just excuse me if I am. Um, Dakota, do we have the first one? Okay, so this is the tabernacle, which is the building up to the left, and this is the court, okay? Again, I know you can't see this. The next photo is kind of zooming in on the actual tabernacle, okay? So on the top left-hand corner is the Holy of Holies. Like this is the most holy place. This is where the high priest only came in once a year, okay? The, the holy place is the front. So from the middle curtain to the front curtain, this is where the table will be. Okay? And this is where the lampstand will be, or the menorah. Have you heard the term menorah before? This is the Hebrew word for lampstand. Okay? And so uh, we'll do that here in a bit. But the table of presence, or the table for bread, is in the holy place, not in the most holy place. The only thing that was back there is the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? So now you can kind of picture it. This is, uh, these photos come from the ESV study Bible. So if you're curious, you want to read the details, Grab that, you can get it online too, uh, and zoom in and kind of read more about that. But here's the idea that I want us uh, to really run with here, is that God's providing a means. This is the beginning of chapter 25. He's providing a means for the people to worship him, okay? Let's keep it in perspective, right? We've been doing Exodus now for a long time, but we'll for, we're so easy to forget where they've been. We do this in our own lives. We forget what God's done in our past and who he's forming us into for a better future, but God's people had been held captive, right, 400 years. And at the end of that 400 years of horrific slavery, okay, let's, let's don't forget that. This was brutal, okay? Pharaoh was a tyrant, he was a narcissist, and he cared nothing about anything else other than himself. And through that bondage, God begins to spark a movement. And he calls this little misfit Moses, and Moses becomes the conduit for God's rescue plan of his people. Okay, and then eventually God builds a nation, right? And so we know that 70 people entered and then uh, hundreds of thousands exit Egypt. And so what the point here is that as God is moving, God continues to provide, okay? God does never, he'll never call you into something that he's not also provided you for you, okay? So remember that. But through this, if you'll remember, when Israel finally leaves Egypt, what do they do to the Egyptians? They plundered them. Here's what this means. I love the word plundered, okay, because it just feels like total victory. They took all their stuff, okay? All, of their, all the things that God's calling out here at the beginning of chapter 25, they got from Egypt. Israel was a people that had nothing. They had nothing but Yahweh and nothing but each other. And everything now that God is calling them to use to build the tabernacle, to build the Ark of the Covenant, to build the table for bread, and to build the lampstand, came from Egypt, okay? So full circle now. God rescues his people, his people plunder their enemy, and now God uses the plundering for worship. You see it? Okay, so all the gold, all the yarn, all the things uh, came from Egypt. Everything, though, is a gift from the Lord. And so maybe even like for you today, 
we don't talk about money hardly ever at the branch, but maybe even for you, uh, gifts, ties, offerings, and why do we put it in a place of generosity? Because it's also greeting your neighbor, right? But maybe for us to understand that everything that we have has a gift from the Lord, something that we do not deserve, okay? Something that we do not deserve. I think it's important, though, that God didn't just release his people from bondage. He provides for them. He provides for their journey in the wilderness. He provides for their future, okay? They become a mighty nation, Israel does. He sets them up to worship him well, to worship him properly, to worship him with reverence and care, and then he sets them up and he guides them continually. He never leaves them alone. He is always with them, even when they sin against him, okay? So I think it's important here for us uh, to talk about two beautiful words that are part of the Christian gospel. The first is mercy, and the other is grace. Hopefully, these are words that you hear here all the time, okay? Mercy, though, basic working definition. Mercy is, getting, is, is not getting what you deserve, right? So we'll say it like this. Mercy is not being condemned to eternal hell. Okay? Grace is getting something that you do not deserve, okay? which is eternity in God's presence. You see the difference. So mercy is not getting the punishment that was required. Grace is receiving a gift that we do not deserve. Okay? And through this, through the table of bread, we see God's mercy and we see his grace. Dakota, let's go on to uh, the next image. This is the, this is the table for bread. Uh, y'all, this is like a coffee table. Okay, um, husbands in the room, we're really excellent at moving these when the carpets need to be rearranged or are we going to take one rug and move them to the other room and then we realize that we don't like it in that room and so we move it back to the room so you're constantly moving coffee tables, right? Um, so I have thought about putting four rings on our coffee table with gold-plated poles so that I could just easily pick it up and move it. But um, this is not a huge table, okay? I love you, I'm sorry. Um, this is not a big table, but the purpose of the table isn't the table, It's not that it's made of gold. It's not that it has fancy poles. The point of the table is that God provides for his people, okay? So on the table are 12 loaves of bread. This is what we see in this passage from Exodus chapter 25. The table is not as important as what's on it. Of the 12 loaves, the 12 loaves of bread, they're there to symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. Here's what I love about this. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with God's calling on your life. I have, okay? Uh, back to a year ago. Are you sure, God? I thought we were done with this, all right? Um, He's not, but God uses, he has a place, and he has a role for all 12 tribes of Israel. They're very different. They become, basically, they become their own groups of people, right? And they, they grow up differently, and they have different traditions and different cultures, and at the center of those 12 tribes is God himself, Okay? So every time they come into the holy place, they're reminded of the 12 loaves of bread, of what God's faithfulness is, that he is the one who keeps his people together. Or all of you in the room from Dahlonega. I'm not from Dahlonega. And yet God uses himself to bind us together. This is what we see in Christ. Christ's church is bound together through the gospel. You can grow up in different denominations. I have a whole rant about denominations. We'll do that some other time. Uh, But God uses his son, Jesus, to bind people from different backgrounds, from different traditions, from different cultures, together as one body. The big C church is one body. And so what should we do? We should fight for unity, and we should fight 
for the gospel. We're going to have differences. We'll probably have differences in this room, and that's okay, but we must press into what do we have in common, and that is Jesus is our Savior. He is born of a virgin, right? We're going to do this at Easter. He lived a perfect life. He died a horrible death, but he didn't stay dead. That's what we have in common, okay? So whether you read from the ESV, which is what we read from here, by the way, or you read from some other translation, I don't really care, okay? What I care about is what binds us together, what we have in common, and this is the gospel of Jesus. All right, so 12 loaves. The bread, though, uh, this is important because remember where they came from. They're coming out of Egypt, right? All of the false gods in Egypt needed sustenance. Little G God, okay? Little G. They all needed something. And so part of their uh, idolatry, part of their worship, the Egyptians I'm talking about, was to provide a meal for their god because their god could not survive on their own. This bread is not for the feeding of Yahweh, okay? So please remember that. God doesn't need food, all right? He doesn't doesn't need anything from you. Everything he has for his perfect glory is contained within himself. Now, back to grace. He chooses to find pleasure in what we provide, okay? We plunder. We could keep. Israel could keep the gold. They could keep the scarlet. They could keep the bronze and all the stuff. Like, this is fancy stuff. They could have kept it, but they don't because they know that in the presence of God, it requires their worship. Acts 17 says this. This is verses 24. You do not have to go there. Uh, This is verse 24 and 25. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Okay? Verse 25 says, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. So I'm not making this stuff up, okay? Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. That's Acts 17. Acts 17 is um, where we see the church of Philippi get planted. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful story of just the, the proliferation of the gospel and how it spread after Jesus' ascension and how God uses ordinary people. A lady named Lydia becomes the catalyst for the church movement. I believe that we're here today because of her faithfulness, okay? That's a, that's a micro-sermon for another day, all right? But what we have to remember with the bread is that the bread was a constant reminder of God's providential care for his people. So why do we take communion here every week? Because we need to be reminded that God cares for us and that he provides for us. He provides that meal, even though it's just a bite. It is a meal to be reminded, to remember of God's faithfulness. Jesus says this. He says, I am the bread of life. If you, uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip over to the Gospel of John chapter 6. I want to encourage you just to stick a ribbon or a note card or a finger in John chapter 6. We're going to come back to it again as we enter into a time of communion later. Um, but I want to read, uh, this is Jesus' encounter with a crowd, okay? Um, Jesus was often fleeing crowds, um, but this is Jesus in front of a crowd, and they're asking him some, uh, some hard questions, and I want, you to he- I want you to see Jesus' response. Okay, so this is John chapter 6, verse 30. Uh, it says this, So they, being the crowd, said to him, being Jesus, that then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Time out. How often do we ask that question of Jesus? 
God, if you would just do this, I would know that you're faithful or I'd know that you're good. Like if you would just, if you would help me get this job or if, if she would say yes or, or we do all of these things that we, these requests and our requests are, God, are good to God, right? He asks us to ask him for things and he's a good and loving father who provides good gifts for his children. But do you see how we can manipulate that for our own selfish gain? That's what's happening here, okay? Listen to Jesus' response. Verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Maybe underline true bread, because we're about to get a definition. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. You see their desperation. They're crying out. The Spirit has softened their hearts and opened their eyes to a Savior. 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Notice that word never is very declarative. Okay? Verse 36, I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have, what does it say? Eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. God keeps his promises. Okay? God keeps his promises always. There's not a single promise that God has made that he hasn't fulfilled. So the promise of Christ's return is a promise that will be fulfilled. The promise in Revelation that all things will be made new and every tear will be wiped away. That promise will come true. Jesus is the bread of a better life. A meal that never needs seconds. All right, let's keep going. The golden lampstand, all right? This is, uh, go back to Exodus 25, verse 31. And I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter, okay? You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch. And three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand, and on the lampstand itself, there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers. And a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it. The whole of it, a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown to you on the mountain. That's a lot. It's hard to read. 
Um, this, there's the menorah, right? This is the golden lampstand. This is what's been made. Uh, a calyx, by the way, I had to look this up. Um, they don't teach you that in seminary, what a calyx is. They teach you how to say it in Hebrew, though. Um, a calyx is like the, little, the outer f- uh, petal of a flower, okay? Um, I should garden more, but I kill things. Um, plants, all right? Um, so you can see the calyxes. You can see the, the three stems, the three branches going out, um, and the detail here. Right? There's, there's, a, there's a lot of detail. This is a very long passage for one little lampstand, isn't it? And here's, the, here's just a, a mini point. This isn't the major point. But God cares about the little things. He cares about the details. He cares about how you read your scriptures when you wake up or whatever time of day that you read your Bible. He cares about the little things. He cares about the little things in your life. He provides for the little things in your life. And he has a great attention to detail. The scriptures give us another promise that God knows every hair on the top of your head. For some of you, that's easier than others, okay? But that's a promise, that he knows you that well, that he loves you enough to count the hairs of your head, okay? So with the lampstand, uh, this, is, this is, honestly, this is probably one of the easier things that God calls, the, what was the purpose of the lampstand? To give light, okay? Uh, the lampstand goes into the tabernacle. The tabernacle has curtains all the way around it. It's a dark place, okay? So the lamp is there to provide light sermon's over. Okay. I'm just kidding. What I do want us to see, though, that is because the tent, uh, the tent covering of the tabernacle was inside and it was dark, the lamp is, has a practical purpose. Okay? It has a practical purpose, but it also has a spiritual purpose. All right? The lampstand was in the shape of a tree, which, if you'll remember, uh, represents the tree of life from the Garden of Eden. Okay? It's constant reminders. You see, God's faithfulness to his people is he's always reminding them of where they've been and where he's calling them to. Okay? He's doing that in our own life. The lampstand points us to the fact that God is the light giver. Ultimately, he is the one that provides light. He speaks it into existence. Let there be light. And what does it say? And there was. And there was. He is the light giver. He's also the life giver. Right? He is the light giver and the life giver. Jesus says this in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the light of the world. Okay? We no longer have a need for a lampstand. We have the light of the world revealed to us through Jesus Christ. And he shines light in the darkest places of humanity, in our very souls. He shines light into our hearts, the darkest corners of our world. The gospel, once proclaimed, moves and illuminates. This is a great blessing for the church today. This is a great call out for us as we navigate life through college or life as parents or life as in retirement. That God, Jesus, now has said, you are the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. I love this passage, by the way. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. A light cannot hide in a dark place. Verse 15 says, nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, this is verse 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The purpose of our good works is to illuminate a dark world and to give glory to the Father. That's it. So why do Christians do mission? You notice I said mission, not missions. It's mission. We are on one mission, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded. That's what Jesus, that's the last thing he gives his disciples. Okay? So as we go and do that, we are illuminating a dark world. 
the trail of a Christian's life should be illumined by the gospel. In front of them and behind them. We should leave a wake of light into the communities that God has called us. A, a private faith is not a true faith. Okay? It isn't. God has called us to be proclaimers. If good news, if the gospel really is good news, it deserves to be shared. And I know that makes some of us very uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable too, but you pay me to do this. So I'm just teasing. Sharing the gospel one-on-one in life, in people that you go to school with or that you work with can be a really gut-wrenching experience, can't it? And yet God, in his fullness of grace, has left us with the command to go and to share. If the gospel really is dead things, becoming living things, it's a story that we should proclaim to the ends of the earth, today, tomorrow, and always. Okay? Jesus is the light giver, and he is the life giver. All that God requires of his people, he provided to him through a brutal process of redemption. We see this in Jesus. His death was brutal. Just like the bondage of the Israelites in Egypt, Christ's crucifixion was brutal, and yet it paved the way for reconciliation. And now we can stand in glory with the Father, fully reconciled because of the work of the Son and the power of the Spirit. That's the Christian gospel. So if you're in here this morning, and that's the first time you've ever heard that, Amen. I'm thankful that you're here. But know that as God calls you out of darkness, he calls you to shine, to illumine those around you. He doesn't save you for yourself. He saves you for himself. The tabernacle was for him. The lampstand was for him. The table for the bread was for him. And yet his grace allows us to participate in the great details of how he calls his people to worship him. If you still have your finger in John chapter 6, I'm going to close us this morning as we enter into a time of communion. I do feel like throughout our journey of Exodus, there have been constant calls and reminders to how we take communion. The table for bread is the table of life. As Christ said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And he takes the bread and he breaks it as a symbol of his broken body. The beauty, though, is that his body doesn't stay broken. So John chapter 6, verse 53, listen to what it says. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. I will be your God. You will be my people. You see the refrain. Verse 57, as the living Father has sent me, I live, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he, will, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate, being Israel, talking about Exodus. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, 
as I'm reading that, I even just think, like, if you're new to the Christian faith, that has to sound so weird. It does. But know that Christ's most intimate encounter with his disciples was through brokenness. He uses, we use the table, we use the bread and the cup to remind us of Christ's broken body, his spilled out blood. Because at the heart of our story is brokenness being made new. The brokenness that Christ received, the brutal nature in which he died, was the death that we deserve. We believe that all people are created perfectly in God's image, and yet through sin have fallen. And now all of us are marred by sin. And the Bible says very clearly that the consequence, the penalty of sin is death. And there must be restoration. There must be a redeemer. There must be some sort of process to be brought back into the presence of God. And it used to be a bunch of rules and a list of things of do's and don'ts. Lampstands and tables and gold and Christ comes. And he says, all you need is me. I will be the perfect sacrifice. And so when we talk about his broken body, when we talk about eating his flesh, this is what we're reminding ourselves of as Christians. That Christ has come and he has given of himself. He left nothing to question. Once and for all. He died one death. He will never die again. And that's why we go to the table week after week after week to be reminded of the beauty of Christ's victory over death in our redemption story. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. As the guys come, we'll enter into a time of communion. Here at the branch, we take the bread and we dip it in the cup. And this is an opportunity for us to continue to worship. Our elders and some of our staff guys will be over here to the side if, if you want to, to pray before you go to the table or if you want to pray uh, at all. We'll be there and we would, we would love to pray with you and to hear um, what's going on in your life or what God's doing in your life. Let's go before the Lord now. Father, we're thankful um, for so many things today. Uh, God, I'm grateful for the work that you've done in my life over the last year. Um, I'm thankful for the work that you've done in the life of our church, just in so many uh, friendships and hearing so many stories of new life. God, I'm grateful for that. I pray that the, the Dodds, Gabe, and Bree and their kids, that we will never forget the courage that it took to step out in faith and plant this church. So we're thankful for their faithfulness this morning. I pray that you would call us the same courage that they displayed. Would you help us to remember them well this week? For those who knew them, maybe reach out to them. As a, I know it's an emotional time for them as well. But you are good and you are faithful and you continue to provide for your people. And we're reminded of that even today in our text. And so not knowing everyone in the room, I pray that this would be a message of rest, that it would be a message of freedom, that it would be a message of, of rec reconciliation, restoration, renewal. As we go now to the table that you are already there, that you will meet us there and provide for our, our every need. We love you. We, we trust you. We are incredibly grateful. We pray these things in the beautiful, powerful, majestic, 
living name of Jesus. Amen.